We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, as Ken just read, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're continuing our Advent uh, series uh, entitled, um, A Weary World Rejoices. Um, we're looking at how, in the midst of even a difficult year, we have sufficient reason to rejoice and looking at the reasons for um, our rejoicing this Christmas season. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the hope that we have in Jesus. And so we're going to talk a lot about hope today. Now, hope is one of those interesting words. It's something that we all know exists, and we know how to recognize it when we see it, but it's a difficult thing to like fully define or even to, to quantify, isn't it? Like we know that hope exists at different intensities and in different ways, and we've seen or experienced hope at different levels and different ways where maybe we had a little bit of hope that something would happen, or we had a lot of hope that something would happen. But today we're going to look at this hope that we have in Jesus and allow the scriptures to define for us what it means to have hope in Christ. And so we're going to start actually two verses before where Ken read in verse 1 and 2 to look at the context of, of who is actually receiving this letter. Because what we're reading today is a letter. You guys probably don't write letters much anymore. Sometimes you do, right? Snail mail. Well, this was actually originally a letter written from Peter to a group of Christians. And let's just read a little bit about um, their situation. So verse 1, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I want to key in on this word dispersion for a minute. Um, when you see that word in the Bible or dispersion, what's being described is a time where God's people are being dispersed or scattered, uh, usually due to persecution. So people are after them to put pressure on them, even to kill them. And so when God's people kind of disperse, it's called a dispersion or dispersion, okay? So we see this uh, pressure heating up even before the cross. There's like a, a plot to kill Jesus. There's a plot to kill Lazarus um, after Jesus' crucifixion. They're looking for other disciples. We know that when the early church gets started, like just a few chapters into the book of Acts, um, there's this persecution being kind of organized against the church, and there's this guy named Saul who's leading it. And he actually has legal permission to go to houses and to drag Christians out of their home, take them back to Jerusalem, and to stone them and put them to death. So there's this fierce persecution that's happening against the church. Well, in chapter 8 of Acts, there's a, there's, there's a dispersion, if you will, dispersion of people who leave, and Philip leaves, and, and, it, and he finds this uh, Ethiopian on the, on the road as he's traveling and leads him to Christ and baptizes him there on the side of the road. And so what God does through the dispersion of his people is he takes the gospel out to the ends of the earth. So the group of people that Peter is writing to are a group of people who've been displaced or, or have been, what he uses the word, exiled here from their homes, from their homeland, and they're now fearing for their lives. So can you imagine uh, the need to be hopeful in a time like this? These are a group of people who said, like, our hope is in Christ, and now they're at a time where more than likely some of them are beginning to question uh, their hope. Did we put the hope in, our hope in the right person? Did we hang on to our hope too long? Should we have, should we have done something different? And so Peter's writing to them to, to kind of fuel the fire of their hope 
that they would not depart from the faith. So now let's look at verse 3 together, the first half of verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So let's throw out a a definition for hope if we can, just to get started. And what we're going to do today is we're going to build a definition for living hope out of chapter 1 here. But let's just start with this idea that hope is a feeling or a desire or an expectation for things to go a certain way. That's a pretty basic understanding of hope, right? It's this feeling or this expectation that something's going to happen, right? So on a base level, we'd say, yeah, that's what it means to have hope. But Peter says that the church has not just been called to hope, but the church has been called to living hope. And so we're going to look at what's different about living hope. What does it mean that Christians are called to have living hope? Right off the bat, he tells us one of the things about living hope, that that living hope is not rooted in ourselves, it's rooted somewhere else. Did you see who, who does the causing here in this verse? Who is it that's caused us to be born again? He says what? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into this living hope. And so our living hope then is not rooted in us, it's rooted in God. What does that mean then? Well, first of all, it means then it's not up to me to muster up a bunch of optimism and white knuckle my way through life, holding on to my hope, right? As though if I let go of it, all hope is gone. Our hope as Christians is not in us, it's in someone else. Who is that? God. So listen to me. That hope exists whether I have it or not. Think about it. All other versions of hope, as soon as you quit hoping, it's gone, right? It's like a vapor, just gone. You lose hope. But what Peter is saying to Christians, listen, your hope is established in somebody besides you. It's established in God. So it's always there. It's a living hope. It's alive. It's constant, ever present. It's available to you whether you take hold of it or not. That's good news for people like us that waver in our hope, right? We waver in our optimism. Sometimes we're like, yeah, God's got this. And other times we're like, man, I wonder if God's got this or not. Peter says, listen, church, your hope is not contingent on your optimism. It's not contingent on what you can muster up from within. You have a living hope. It's alive. It's present. It's active. And so he's calling the church to a living hope. I want to look at a biblical example of what living hope looks like. That's helpful for me. I don't know if that's helpful for you. Let me see what this looks like in real life. There are a lot of examples we could go to in the Bible of people who who maybe exhibited living hope. Jason Martin gave us an example from 2 Chronicles 20 today, right? Imagine that. You're going to battle. It looks like defeat is imminent. You're going to lose. And so instead of sending your fierce warriors, you send your fierce worshipers in. Like That's living hope, right? Like literally, life and death hanging in the balance. If this doesn't work out the way God said, we're doomed. That's a living hope. I want to look at um, a guy named Abraham. Several places in the New Testament, he's offered up as an example of what like faith looks like and what hope looks like. And Paul writes about him in Romans chapter 4. Listen to these verses. I'm going to start in verse 18. In hope, he, which is Abraham, he believed against hope 
that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen to this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's a, that's a powerful description of a man who's living by hope, right? And so what's the difference between hope and living hope? Well, this description talks to us about a man who had every reason in the world to be doubtful. Because the promise at hand was, Abraham, you're going to have kids. And he was an old man, and he hadn't had kids yet. And not only that, his wife had always been barren. So imagine Abraham and Sarah when they're young, maybe in their 20s, and they're getting married. They're starting a new life together. And just like a lot of us, they were hopeful, right, for a lot of things. And one of the things they were probably hopeful for was that they would have kids. And so they don't, it doesn't happen when they're in their 20s. Well, maybe it'll happen when they're in their 30s, right? There's still hope. Like, we know people all the time who are having kids when they're in their 30s, and so there's still hope. And so they get into their 30s, and what? No kids. Well, now we've got our 40s, and you could see where, from from their perspective, hope begins to diminish, right? Becoming less and less hopeful. Get to your 50s, and hope is just about gone, right? Like, that ship has sailed Maybe we can adopt, but we're not going to have kids on our own. Get to your 60s, and it's not even a thought anymore, right? Isn't that normally how hope goes? But what Paul is saying is that's not how hope worked for Abraham. He hoped against hope. That's an interesting phrase. What does that phrase mean? Here's another way to interpret that. He hoped against all odds. While everything that he could see with his eyes told him this is never going to happen, he didn't give up hope. So think about like hope in your life. If you're hoping something will happen down the road and things begin to move in that direction, it's easy to maintain hope, right? The trajectory is good. It looks like it's gonna work out. It looks like I'm gonna get the job. It looks like the thing's gonna happen. It looks like I'm gonna make the team. And and so you're headed down this road. You don't have it yet, but it, it looks positive. It looks hopeful. It's easy to maintain hope. But what about when things stall out and it quits moving that way? Now, for Abraham, things hadn't stalled out. Things had actually started going in the opposite direction, right? So he had every reason to be doubtful, to be hopeless. Like, it was looking like that ship had sailed. Maybe God misspoke. And that's what it means when it says that he hoped against hope. And the last way he says it is that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, listen, church. Christians of anybody who lives on earth, Christians are meant to be people of hope. Matter of fact, our lives should be perpetual beacons of hope to the world around us. Hope for Christians is not something that we reach out for when things get tough. Hope isn't something that we go to when things become overwhelming. This idea of living hope is that it's something we need every minute, every hour, every day, every year. That our lives are perpetually, always tied to, anchored in a living hope. Well, think about that for a minute. Christmas, we call Christmas the Advent season. You know why that's so? The word Advent means arrival. 
And that makes sense, right? We're celebrating the arrival of Christ. We're celebrating the arrival of God's Son into our world. It's our Advent. But also, we're waiting on a second arrival, aren't we? A second Advent season when Christ returns. So you and I, we live in the era of the in-between, between Advents, between the first and second coming of Christ. There will be a day when you no longer need hope. You know that, right? At the return of Christ, when everything you have hoped for is finally realized, we won't need hope anymore because we'll have everything we hoped for. But until that day, we are people of hope. And it's, it's meant, like God meant for us to be people of hope. Not just people who go to hope when things get bad, but people who are constantly tethering their lives to, anchoring our lives to this idea of the hope we have in Christ, even on the good days even when things look like they're going in the right direction. Have you ever had something you're hoping for and it looked like you're about to get it and right at the finish line you didn't? Right? So just because things look like they're going good, they're going in the right direction, everything's happening the way, like we're meant to be people of hope. So let's begin building a definition of hope together. We'll put this on the screen. So living hope, different from just wishful thinking, is this. It is the unwavering certainty and assurance that compels us to wait patiently on the Lord even in the midst of difficult or uncertain circumstances. So think about that. It's this unwavering certainty that we have. Not because everything's going great, we have it while we're waiting on the Lord. Now let's look at the rest of verse three together. Paul is going to now, or Peter, excuse me, is going to tell us what this hope is fully rooted in. He says, here's how you have this hope. You have it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is a really important part of understanding living hope. First of all, we have our hope in someone who is alive. That's really important. It wouldn't be a living hope if our hope was rooted in somebody who lived in the past, Maybe a great person, a great leader, a sacrificial martyr who stood up for everything that was right but is now dead. That wouldn't be a living hope. But our hope is in someone who has resurrected from the dead. That's why we have a living hope. Are you with me on that? We have our hope in someone who is alive. Now think about this. Why? I don't know why this happens around Christmas time. That as we begin to gravitate towards celebrating the birth of Christ, we lose sight of the death and resurrection of Christ. You notice that? It's like we lose sight of the gospel for about a month, and then we start ramping up to Easter, and we remind ourselves of the death and resurrection. But as Christians, like the birth of Christ, Christmas, it finds its full meaning in the resurrection of Christ. Right, the birth of Christ is Jesus stepping into our world to first live a perfect life, and then to go to the cross die in our place, and then resurrect victoriously over the grave. Like there's, there's an intimate connection between the birth and the resurrection. So when we think about hope, there's kind of two ways you can think about hope, okay? One way is to think purely about the future. I hope something happens, okay? Something maybe I haven't experienced and never seen before, but I'm hopeful that the thing will happen. It's predicated on like an expectation you have for the future, There's a second way to think about hope. It's the idea of hope that's rooted in something that has happened in the past. 
Are you with me? So, so I've seen something before. This happened last year. God worked it out this way last time. So therefore, I'm hopeful it'll happen again. See, one is predicated on this future idea. The other one is, is, is kind of rooted in this idea of what has already happened. And so what Peter is doing here is he's rooting our hope, first of all, in something that has already happened. What is it? The resurrection of Christ. Listen, church, this is why this is really important. At the resurrection of Christ, the work of Christ is finished. You remember what he said at the cross? It is finished. Here's what we mean by that. Jesus didn't come to earth to start a project that he didn't finish. We're not hoping that he will return one day to bring victory. He's already, right, he's already won the battle. That's what the resurrection was. He was winning the battle over sin and death, right? So our hope is rooted in the finished work of Christ. It's already done. Does that make sense? Right, that's why we're so confident. It's not just wishful thinking. I sure hope that Jesus will return one day. I sure hope he's alive. I sure hope he can defeat death because if not, we're all doomed. No, Christ is saying, listen, put your hope in me. Watch this. And he resurrects from the grave. So our hope is rooted in the finished work of Christ. Are you with me? The finished work of Christ. It's complete, it's done. And so we take our definition now and we build it out even further. Living hope is the unwavering certainty and assurance that is rooted in the finished work of Christ that grounds us as we wait patiently on the Lord, even in the midst of difficult or uncertain circumstances, okay? Well, here's the good news. It's not just rooted in the past. It's also rooted in what God said about the future. God didn't come to his people and say, hey, I want y'all to be hopeful. Just trust me. I'm going to figure something out. He didn't do that. He didn't come to the church and say, hey, you guys just keep being hopeful. Keep Because in the end, I'm going to figure something out and things are going to work out okay. God said, let me tell you how things are going to work out. There is going to come a day when death is put to death, when death shall be no more. And not only that, you who are in Christ will resurrect from the grave in bodily form, live with me forever. And I will put an end to all injustices, all pain, all suffering, and there will be no more tears. So we have this We have this beautiful future promise that we're waiting on. So like our living hope is rooted both what has already been accomplished and what God has promised about the future. And that is the foundation for our living hope. Look at what Peter says next, verse four. He talks about our future. He says, this is where our hope is aimed at. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our hope and our assurance is in this future that is secured by God. Now let's think for a minute what it would be like if we did not have living hope. If we just had wishful thinking or or optimism that, that we could muster up within ourselves. What I think would happen would eventually we would become people of excessive anxiety who were very self-focused and probably oriented. Meaning this, that as we think about the world around us, we feel like the pressure is on us to make things happen. We think about our future and the pressure is on us to, to, to make something happen for ourselves. We think about our kids and we think the pressure is on us to, right, to give them hope and to create a future for them. We think about our grandkids and now the pressure's really on. We become very problem-oriented. How do I overcome the next obstacle so I can regain my hope? 
And essentially our MO would be just fighting one another for our place in the world. My future will become more important than your future. My children's future will become more important than your children's future. And we would fight, position ourselves to try to create the most hopeful opportunity we could. And that's what I think would happen without living hope. Let's, let's roll this definition out even a little further. So it's not only predicated in what has already happened at the cross and the resurrection, but it's also the future promises. So let's think of it this way. Our living hope is this unwavering certainty uh, and assurance that's rooted in the finished work of Christ that grounds us as we wait patiently for the Lord to do what? To fulfill his promises, even in the midst of difficult or uncertain circumstances, which is what Peter's gonna talk about next. Look at verse six with me. So in this, what is this? Our living hope, okay? So in our living hope, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I don't, I don't know when the last time was that you have rejoiced. I'm not talking about we're happy. I mean like rejoice, like where you just momentarily kind of lose your consciousness on reality and you just get excited about something, right? Like it happened for me yesterday, um, in a football game, and uh, so I, I coached. Uh, I coached my son's football team, uh, third and fourth graders, and we had a great season. Made it to the playoffs, rolled in in second place. Uh, in our semifinal game, we went into overtime and we lost by one point. So, womp womp womp. But uh, there was a moment in the game, and those of you who were at the game, because like four of the players go to church here, uh, there was a moment in the game where there's this one particular um, kiddo on the team who I really been wanting to like catch a pass and maybe even score a touchdown because he works super hard. He's just a little shorter than the other ones. So he's like always in the right place at the right time. And it never fails. Some Amazon fourth grader just like, woo, slaps the ball down in front of him. He's like, ah. Oh. So I really wanted this kid. Like, I mean, he, he worked his tail off, right? So, and, and so we're, we're moving the ball down the field. He catches a pass. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so getting closer to the end zone. And sure enough, we make it to the end zone. Who catches the pass? Boom, this kiddo catches a pass. I'm telling y'all, the ref did not have the opportunity to decline this touchdown because I had already declared it. Hands in the air, touchdown! And for like four or five, maybe six seconds, I lost lost my mental awareness. (laughs) And I was rejoicing. I don't know, when was the last time you rejoiced? You know what I mean? Like more than just I'm happy about something, I like this, but like you just like are ecstatic about it. Like this is what Peter is saying. In this living hope, this is what it does. It causes us to rejoice. It causes us to get excited. But look at what he says. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, what happens? You suffer. You grieve. You face various trials. What's interesting is this is not the only place in the Bible that talks about this. James says it in chapter one. He says, hey, listen, church. Listen, this is how you should face suffering. You should, you should face it with joy. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So, so Peter is not turning a blind eye to hard stuff. Right? He's not turning a blind eye to how difficult your year may have been. Say, no, no, you're facing hard stuff right now. You live in the in-between, the advents of Christ. As Christians, we're going to experience hard things, suffering even. But he says we rejoice in the midst of our various trials. So let's finish our definition here then. What does it mean to be people with living hope, okay? Different from wishful thinking, 
Different from this come and go hope that's here on days we feel more optimistic, living hope is the unwavering certainty and assurance rooted in the finished work of Christ that compels us to rejoice as we wait patiently on the Lord to fulfill his promises, even in the midst of difficult or uncertain circumstances. That's a pretty powerful idea of hope, isn't it? That's the kind of hope I can't muster up within myself. I consider myself an optimist, but I can't do that. I have to find this hope outside of me in someone else, which is why we find our hope in our resurrected Savior, Jesus. He is our living hope. And so how do we know as Christians if we're living by this kind of hope? Well, we get this description here. Peter finishes up in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in something. What? In praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And look, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why are we not more excited about our salvation, church? Why are we not filled with inexpressible joy, at least on a daily basis, if not every moment of every day? See, that's what it looks like to be, to be rooted in this living hope. You always have a reason to be excited, to be filled with joy, even the kind of joy that you can't figure out what words to use to describe it. Blah! Touchdown! Yeah! That kind of joy, that inexpressible joy that's filled with glory. This is the outcome of our faith. I'm gonna ask a couple of questions here for you to think about to reflect on maybe what God has spoken to you. Maybe if you're at home, this would be a chance for you to think about that or maybe even have some discussion. Maybe if you're here today, this would be maybe the questions you would ask one another on your way home or later today. First thing is this. I want you to think about the people who know you the best in life, okay? So these are the people that you're like gut level honest with, that you're willing to have the hard dialogues with. Would the people who know you best describe you as a person of unwavering hope. And what I mean by that is like, the sentences that come out of your mouth are dripping with hope. Like the the facial expressions that radiate from your face are just radiating with hope. Would the people who know you best describe you as a person of unwavering hope? The second thing is this. If the answer is no, or you're struggling with that, I want you to think about this. How does the finished work of Christ give you hope? Like, what does that have to do with hope today? How can that give you hope as you face uncertainties today? And then last but not least, when was the last time that you can remember your heart being filled with joy that was inexpressible and filled with glory? When was the last time you truly rejoiced? Just think about that. I want to end here today, and before our worship team comes back up, I'm going to pray for us. 
God would continue speaking to you. And if there's some next step that God's calling you to, you grab a next steps card, fill it out. Come grab one of us, one of the pastors or elders. Um, I'll let you know last week that our elders are now gonna be wearing lanyards that, that identify them as elders. We have eight elders here at the church. Um, if you see an elder, grab them if you need anything. They'll stop what they're doing. If not, you come tell me. No, I'm just kidding. They'll stop what they're doing to pray over you, to talk with you about anything going on, okay? That's what they're here for. They're here to serve you. So whatever God's calling you to, we're gonna encourage you to take that next step. Um, I'm gonna pray over us. Our worship team's gonna come back up, and then we're gonna, we're gonna end our time together this morning by rejoicing together. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that we have in Jesus. Um, Father, as we think about Peter's description of, of living hope, quite honestly, God, it's, it, if, it, it's challenging. It's convicting to think that our lives should be filled with this rejoicing that is, that is, that is full of inexpressible joy and glory. Father, I, I, I know at least in my own life that, that I fall short most of the time of that. It's so easy for me to get focused on all the reasons why I shouldn't have hope that I lose sight of the living hope I have in Christ. And God, there's a good chance that we as a church struggle with that. So God, I pray, um, as we so often do, that Solid Rock Church could be known in this community as a place of living hope, a place where hope is alive, a place where hope is constant, a place where hope is not contingent on what the world is doing, a hope that is not thwarted or overcome by even suffering. But God, give us this living hope. If there's anybody here today who does not know you personally, who does not have this living hope in their lives, I pray God today would be the day of salvation the day that they would trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and for their salvation and eternal life. God, I pray that would happen today. God, as your people, thank you for reminding us today of what it looks like to live with hope, a hope rooted in Christ. So God, we pray all this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus.